All right, well, let's get started in Ephesians, United, Part 1. As I mentioned, uh, this book of Ephesians, while not a terribly long book, is going to cover a, a lot of ground uh, in terms of our life in the faith. It was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, we believe, in the last years of his life when he was a prisoner in Rome. Uh, Paul spent the last years there, uh, we think, martyred by Nero, who was a vicious and evil emperor. Ephesus was an important city in Paul's day and it, it, because it had port access and it was on kind of major routes. So it was a major commercial center for the day. Yes, if you do not have a Bible, a couple of people making Bibles available to you now. Um, and it was Ephesus was also the home of a massive religious cult of the goddess Artemis or Diana in Latin. It was also one of the ancient biblical it, it is one of the ancient biblical cities you can visit today, thanks to great uh, and excellent the archaeological work over the last century. I do know we have a number of active travelers in our church. I'd love to just see a show of hands. How many of you have actually seen Ephesus? Yeah, quite a few. Um, man, our, our family had the opportunity to visit Ephesus. It's in, it's in Turkey on the coast. Uh, and we visited there a few years ago. And I just, I got to do the slideshow. I got to show you a few pictures because it's pretty fun. Um, so this is the uh, this is the walkway. Paul, the Apostle Paul, would have walked on this road, approaching into the city. The next one is a picture of the what's left of the agora, of their marketplace, kind of where all the market stalls would have been, and so on. You can just imagine that bustling with activity. This is a, kind of a, a shot of the, of one of their actually two theaters in Ephesus. There's a large one that seats many thousands, and then a smaller one. And then we got a closer picture of that theater. Um, this is the Grand Theater, and this is uh, where there was, and you can read about this in Acts 19, there was a great mob in there, and, uh, and it just about um, ended Paul's life right there in that spot. And then I've got one more picture of the Library of Celsus. Uh, this was put together by Austrian architects in the early 70s, but um, just a marvelous uh, structure. So you can see that Ephesus was a center of, of uh, commerce, and culture and uh, and education. It was just, just a significant and dramatic city, religion as well. Now, Ephesus figures prominently in the book of Acts. And in particular, you can read about it in Acts uh, 19. Paul had had his longest ministry stay in Ephesus, more than two years, uh, probably closer to three years. Nearly lost his life, as I said, to an angry mob. And it was the site of his, I would say, his most effective ministry and his most dramatic ministry. It was, it's the only place where Luke, the author of, of Acts, is the only place where Luke refers to the miracles of Paul as extraordinary miracles. Now, I would be happy to start with ordinary miracles. So I'm not sure what makes a miracle extraordinary, but even for them it was dramatic. Now, the believers in Ephesus, as they, as they got saved... Um, you know, they were converted to Christ, but they were still using horoscopes, still consulting magic books, still practicing witchcraft. And, and then there was a, a shocking and dramatic uh, encounter that led to a total conversion of the believers there. And they just became sold out for Jesus. And Ephesus then became a major launching point uh, for the gospel spread through the rest of Asia at that time. Now, Ephesus is also... The first of the seven churches addressed in Revelation. And there, Jesus' message to the church includes 
this surprising exhortation from Revelation chapter 2, verse 3. I think we've got that on screen. Jesus says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place or remove your testimony or your effectiveness from its place. Those are strong words. And get this. That's just one generation after the church started. Just one generation later. A great start is no guarantee of enduring faithfulness. You know that? And it's a reminder that every generation needs to grab hold of the faith for themselves in fresh and relevant ways. So to begin the series, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're using one of the red church Bibles, I believe it's page 731. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. I read from the New Living Translation. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Verse 4. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Verse 6. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Verse 9. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. We sang about that this morning. Verse 12, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, giving you the Holy Spirit or he sealed you with the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us. To be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. I'll just say one thing about the Apostle Paul. So just as a reminder, the New Testament is written in in Greek. Uh, it was kind of ancient biblical Greek. Um, it's always the, the matrix calling. And um, and uh, and so when the ancient Greek that has no punctuation in it. So when translators look at it, and, and the words are usually all smushed together to save space. So when translators work on that, they sometimes um, have to figure out kind of where the natural punctuation breaks on. And the Apostle Paul is notorious for these kind of run-on thoughts. He just like starts and goes and goes and kind of keeps adding, adding on to it. 
So um, Paul's writings are are really challenging for translators. And uh, I like using the New Living Translation because it's very readable. But if you were following along in a different translation, you might have felt a little confused along the way because um, they've found different ways to kind of address that. I'm going to make another comment about that in a moment. So this letter is addressed to believers, Christians, followers of Jesus. And, and like I mentioned, so in the, the older um, NIV, verse 2 translates it as the saints. Uh, what I read and the new NIV says it uses the phrase God's holy people. Literally, the word is the holy ones, God's holy ones. And then followed by the phrase, the faithful in Jesus Christ. Every faithful believer in Jesus is a holy one, a saint. You're a saint. Did you know that? You're a saint. You're a saint. So this whole letter is a word to holy, faithful followers, to holy, faithful followers. And that includes you who follow Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I often don't feel like a holy, faithful follower. And that's why this letter is so important. We need to be reminded again and again that as believers, we have an identity in Christ. Whether you feel like it or not, you are not perfect, but Christ makes you holy. A couple of weeks ago, that high school group, um, they did a day trip to Six Flags, and so they, they used my van to get there and back because we're not sure that the church van would make it both ways. Um, so I had the church van for, for a day, and I, you know, I drove normal. I you know, tried to drive pretty good. But I did have to remind myself a few times that, you know, emblazoned on this van are the words Bethany MB Church. Right. Well, I didn't feel any different driving around, but I had a clear identity that had been placed upon me. I represented you and the church as I drove and uh, it it motivated me to to drive to a little higher standard than maybe I've been known to in the past. And that's how we are in Christ. The same kind of concept. We've been we've been wrapped in an identity. We've been placed inside of an identity that if we empower it, if we embrace it, it empowers us to also live accordingly. There's a recurring phrase in Ephesians that, that says in, in Greek it's en Christo or means in Christ. About nine times over, Paul comes to that. And like I said, the New Living Translation is a, what we call a phrase-by-phrase translation. And so, it, more so than word-for-word, word, it fleshes it out by using the phrase united with Christ. Where it says in Christ, they say united with Christ. And I'm not sure that's really a strong enough sense in what's saying here. Because uh, the believer has to understand that not only is the Holy Spirit in you, you as a believer are in Christ. In Christ is your identity. The lesser is contained in the greater. And it's important to understand. And it's all that protection and care and identity that that offers. So then Paul's going to talk about, well, what does that identity mean? And so there's a number of ways he fleshes that out. And we'll just walk through that starting at verses 3 and following. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We've been identified by every spiritual blessing. 
identified by every spiritual blessing. I spotted at least nine spiritual blessings listed through this passage in the next few verses by Paul. But it's not an exclusive list. There's other things. But he does say God loved us and God chose us. So there's two right there. Maybe your translation says he predestined us in verse four. Well, to be loved and chosen by God, the father, in spite of our background. Right. Keep in mind where these believers in Ephesus had come from out of pagan worship, out of the occult. Right. Out of sexual immorality. Right. He's saying to them, God loved you and he chose you. He selected you. That's a great spiritual blessing. Now, there's a little problem here because this passage introduces uh, or hints at, I guess, a, a kind of a controversial subject, something that we call election or predestination, maybe is another word for it. That concept has led Christians to argue, honestly, for about five centuries, they've been arguing about this point of salvation. Are you saved because God selects in advance who gets to be saved? Right. Or are you saved because you chose to trust in Christ Jesus for salvation? So one camp, we'll just nerd out here for a moment. One camp is called Calvinism because it follows John Calvin, his thought. One called, camp is called Arminianism because of a guy named Jacob Arminius. And so um, they have this kind of argument going on. Which is it? Is it all up to God, Calvinism, or is it all your decision, Arminianism? Is it free will or is it predestination? Well, the answer is Jesus. That's it. Jesus saves. And, and to reduce the gospel to a simplified theological system, it's just not helpful. It's just not helpful. Christ died for all. Then we choose. And God has known from before time who's going to choose him. So don't let yourself get caught up in Fruitless, unresolvable arguments. Just put your faith in him. Keep going. Well, what other spiritual blessings are ours? Verse five says that we've been adopted into his family. I don't need to say really anything about how amazing it is to be invited into a family rather than born into one. A number of you have adopted children and I know several of you were adopted into a family when you were young. But it's a good reminder that you're not born a believer. You're not born a Christian. You're adopted into the family when you put your faith in Christ Jesus. Verse six goes on. We praise God for his glorious grace poured out on us who belong to his dear son. That's a spiritual blessing of God's glorious grace. Grace is the unearned favor, the unearned merit, the freely given favor of God. Verse seven goes on, says we have freedom that is freedom from sin. He says he is so rich in kindness and grace. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And that freedom is tied to the blessing of forgiveness. So we've got grace. We've got freedom. We've got forgiveness. Three more spiritual blessings are listed in verse eight. He goes on to say. He showered his kindness on us with all wisdom and understanding. Kindness or generosity, your translation translation might say, he lavished upon us. You ever been lavished upon? Probably when you were you were dating and and your your boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, bought you all kinds of stuff and took you to nice dinners and you were lavished upon. 
And they asked you to marry them. And then everything changed. <laughs> Not in our marriage. I, I get lavished on all the time. <laughs> Isn't that true? Uh, wisdom. Understanding. Right? Or your translation might say insight. Kindness, wisdom, and understanding. I don't know about you, but not a day goes by when I don't need God's kindness, His wisdom, and His insight. I need that every day of my life. God's given you those blessings. Believing friends, look at your life. Just think about just Just visualize your life for a moment. And consider the benefits of these spiritual blessings. Love. Election. Adoption, grace, freedom, forgiveness, kindness, wisdom, understanding. That's all those things that God has blessed you in the heavenly realms. All those spiritual blessings are yours. How else are we identified? Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. I would say this, we're identified as trustworthy with a mystery. Trustworthy with a mystery. You're the keeper of a great secret, a great mystery. It's been revealed to you. That in the right time, all things will be brought together completely under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The mystery revealed includes this, that Jesus was not just a man, just a good person on earth. Jesus is the Son of God who has made it possible for both Jews and Gentiles to be saved by faith in Him. Those who might deserve and those who definitely don't deserve can all be saved. You know how things never quite seem perfect? You know that feeling like something's always just not quite lined up? You know, in your kind of in your inside, you're you're somehow waiting for heaven and earth to synchronize. Well, it's coming. Jesus will return and establish his reign. And all of history will be wrapped up in Christ Jesus. That's, a, that's the great mystery. It all points to him and that's been revealed. You wonder how it's going, all going to end? It's the same answer as the last one. Jesus. He goes on in verses 11 and 12. He says, furthermore, because we're united with Christ or we are in Christ. It's that word, that phrase again. We have received an inheritance from God or it, it, that's another one of the spots. It's hard for us to translate with Paul inheritance from God or it's that we are God's inheritance. It's a little unclear in that. Uh, we've received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. We could say it this way. You're identified to belong to God. You're identified to belong to God. Paul already started into this earlier, but I, I just can't emphasize enough that we aren't just 
blessed by God. And keep in mind, it's never because you earned it or you deserve it. But we're blessed by God. But not only that, we belong to him. And there's a difference between just being blessed and belonging. Imagine this. On your daily um, walk, you pass by a homeless child. And, um, and every day, you, you, as you pass her by, you give her a dollar and then maybe five dollars or ten dollars. And, and, and your, your heart's starting to, to soften to this child. And, and you, you're making sure that, that she gets something to eat. And then you kind of arrange to make sure she's, she's got a safe place to sleep. And, and you talk to her and you, you, you pray for her. And, and you know, you've got this kind of growing concern. You're blessing her. As you go on your daily business. But one day you get the idea, rather than simply blessing this homeless child, you're going to take her into your home. You're going to adopt her into your family. And so you go through all the necessary paperwork that's required. And finally, one day you bring her home. Now, you're still blessing her as you did before. You're still providing for her, still caring for her needs. But the relationship has completely changed. She now has your name. She she's now in your will. She's now a part of your family. The level of security and confidence for her has completely changed. That's what God has done for you in Christ. It's not simply that he gives his blessings to you as he passes by. It's just he takes you into his own family. He adopts you as part of his own. It's a completely different level of security and confidence for us. Can you say I'm adopted? I belong To the Heavenly Father. Paul has more to say about our identity. He goes on in verses 12 and 13. We could say it this way. You've been saved. You're identified as saved. So others may be saved. This takes maybe a little more explanation. Verse 12 says, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ... He identified you as his own by giving the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul here has made a distinction between an ethnic distinction between Jews, we Jews and you Gentiles. Up until this point, he's just been talking about us and it's inclusive of both. But it's a shift in the language because um, he's he wants to make a special emphasis or special point about salvation here. Us, because salvation came through the Jews. You know, Jesus was a Jewish man. He was born into a Jewish family. He was fully Jewish. And so and, and, and through the line of David, God brought salvation through the Jewish people to us. And so the salvation of God's people, the Jews, from from way back at Abraham, who was called as a pagan idol worshiper and was called to follow God and put his faith in him all the way from Abraham and on. Right. It was God's intent that the Jews would glorify God so that the Gentiles would trust in him, so that the Gentiles would put their faith in him. It's huge. And yet Jews had wrongly taken God's favor and God's attention. Right. And kept it to themselves. I I think we can do the same unintentionally today. I don't know if you realize this, but most unchurched people like that. The people that you pass by every day, the people that live next door to you, the people that you work with, uh, you know, even members of your family, people generally who are unchurched. And those of you who have recently been in church, you, you can testify to this. Most unchurched people have never considered that the church is meant for anything other than church people. If you say to somebody, hey, you should come to our church. They're like, no, I'm not really a church person. The assumption is 
well, why would I go to church if I'm not a church person? That's for church people, right? It's kind of like, why would you go to In-N-Out if you don't like burgers? If you don't like In-N-Out, something wrong with you, (laughs) right? But we are here for the lost. That's the call of the church. We were sent on a mission, remember, to go and make disciples of all Baptizing them, teaching them all the things that Jesus taught us. That's our primary purpose. That's our mission. And so we've got to be careful that we don't hoard it. We don't keep it to ourselves, the salvation that God's given to us in Christ. See, most of what in life, what we accomplish or what we acquire, what we achieve, what we purchase, most of it's for our own benefit. Just, just to be honest, just think about that. But the life of faith is different. We're blessed to be a blessing. We receive so we can give. We're saved so others can be saved. I'm really, for example, I'm really humbled and encouraged by a number of families in our church who have told me they own a bigger vehicle than necessary so they can transport others to church and church events, whether it's youth or Awana or the Chinese Fellowship. I mean, I just, I love that because... Those people are living in the spirit of this identity, saved so others may be saved, blessed so others may be blessed. What about you? Is that the reality of your life? Are you living with that kind of generosity? And finally, I would say we're identified by the seal of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on in verses 13 and 14 to talk about that. He says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as owner. He says, you were sealed. The word is sealed by the Holy Spirit, whom he promised. Verse 14, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Paul's actually using two images here. Let's do that. Paul's actually using two images here. The seal, which is you think about in the olden times, you know, that that kind of wax seal they put on on a letter or on a scroll that says this is an official, authentic document. Right. That there's he uses that image. And then he also says as a deposit, which is a down payment. The word used there is is a is that used for a non refundable a deposit used in a business transaction. The Holy Spirit's work now is a promise, a double promise even, of something to come later. This was true for in Paul's own ministry there in, in Ephesus. Verse, um, Acts chapter 19, the beginning tells the story of how Paul arrived in Ephesus. He met 12 God-fearing men, and, and, uh, but they had not heard the full message of Jesus. They had not been baptized uh, in the name of Jesus, they did not receive the Holy Spirit. And so Paul preaches to them. He baptizes them. They, he lays his hands on them. They, they receive the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues and they prophesy. It's a, it was a foreshadow. It was a, it was a, it was a hint of what was to come in Paul's ministry. It was a down payment. It was a seal of all that God was promising. Paul's made all these amazing statements about our identity but how do we know they're true? Well, he's saying this. He says, you know, they're true because you've got the Holy Spirit to prove it. And I think if you're like me, you would ask, well, how can I know I have the Holy Spirit? How can how can I know that that's really evident in my life? I would ask questions like this. Have you ever experienced comfort in the midst of sorrow or stress? 
Have you received wisdom or a good idea when you needed it? Does your conscience ache when you sin? Did an appropriate scripture come to mind at a key moment? Did you get a nudge to call a friend and it turned out to be exactly what they needed at that moment? Did you read scripture and you understood what it said? Did you sense the Lord's presence in worship as we sing together? Did you did the Lord help you with that hard conversation with a coworker or your boss or a family member? Did you share the gospel with a friend or acquaintance or a family member? That's the Holy Spirit at work in you, the seal of his presence in your life. And that experience is what Paul says, the down payment, the first installment of what we're going to one day experience in full when all of heaven's riches are ours. Identities are just really important to all of us, whether we think about it or not. And we look for ways to show our identity, to show kind of the status we have. You students, you see it in school all the time. When I was in school, that was um, the groups. This is the 80s. So the groups were uh, headbangers, jocks, uh, and then I think we had nerds. I think now preppies, we had preppies. That's right. Yeah. Remember the preppies? Oh, yeah. That was preppy. Um, now it's bandos or band geeks, right? Everybody's got their group. You can immediately identify who they are. You see that identity. Some of us, you know, make sure we identify ourselves by, by where our house is located or the, the brand of car we drive or the label on our clothes. Well, the Apostle Paul has a message for you. You can relax. You can stop striving. Because when, you're, when you put your faith in Jesus, you have an identity. You're identified in so many ways as his. And when you ident- understand your identity, you begin, honestly, you begin to live up to it. Not perfectly, but we are being transformed little by little, day by day. Sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. But we're moving in general toward what God has for us. And then Paul, writing to a church living in a totally hostile and pagan culture, he wanted his friends to find joy and motivation and purpose and mission in this identity being exactly who God says they are. The elect, the chosen, the the beloved, the blessed with every spiritual blessing. Named as his. And what he wrote to them, he speaks to us right here, right now. What kind of people will we be? What kind of person will I be? What kind of person will you be? Can we be the, the kind who live in Christ with all the full implications of what that identity means? Wrapped in that identity in living what he has for us. I'm going to invite Josh and the worship team to come back. I think you've got one last song for us. It's um, pretty easy to get sort of wrapped up in the, I don't know, academics of it or the theology of it or the doctrine of it. But I can't emphasize strongly enough that this is this is for you. This is real for you right now. Deeply loved by God. Chosen by him. Called out from among what the world offers so you can be identified as his own. And as you do that, 
as you do that, as you live in that, you discover that you're blessed to be a blessing. You're saved so others can be saved. You're loved so others can be loved. And so on. It doesn't stop with you. It flows through you to others. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I'm, I'm grateful that you adopted me into your family. Not because I did anything to deserve it. And I thank you for your great abundant love. God, I pray that that would be true for each person here this coming week. And friend, as, you're, as we just have a quiet moment with the Lord, I just invite you just to just, have, just do a little business with the Lord. Just let Him know. Maybe you're feeling like, I, I, don't, I don't feel that identity at all. I don't, I don't feel very saved. I don't feel very holy. I, I'm not even sure I have the Holy Spirit in my life. Can I just encourage you in this quiet moment? Just tell Him that. Just bring that to the Lord and let Him remind you of who you are in Him. Let Him refresh in you the awareness of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've wandered far from God. You're very distant from Him. And He's just saying, just come back. Just put your faith and trust back in me. And maybe there's, uh, there's someone here today who uh, you would like to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. You would like to be adopted into God's family. You've never trusted Jesus to forgive your sin and make you a new person. If that's you, I would just invite you to raise your hand and Look at me and we'll pray together. I'll get someone to pray with you after the service. You're saying, I want to be adopted into God's family for the first time. Anybody like that today? For the rest of us, I just want to encourage you. It means you can live confidently and boldly. Knowing that Jesus has already gone ahead of you. Already given you His identity, His label in your life. Amen. Amen. Josh.